Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Odyssey celebrates Mother's Day. Brought to you by T-Mobile. You can count on T-Mobile to help you stay connected on America's largest 5G network. Good morning and welcome to another edition of Better Living a show about people and organizations that make an impact around Dallas-Fort Worth. I'm your host, Chris Arnold of 105.3 The Fan, and joining us right now is the CEO of the Alzheimer's Foundation of America, Charles Fischillo, Jr. How are you doing, Charles? Doing really well. Thanks for having me on. Glad and a pleasure. Can you, first of all, talk about how the past year has impacted the organization? We're talking about you're in a pandemic, you're, you're, you're going through some different things, and everybody's making that pivot. Pivot, how has the Alzheimer's Foundation of America handled all the different directions the world has been turning lately? We've actually grew our programs and services, and we realized that people were facing isolation and loneliness, stay-at-home orders, lack of visitation. So most of our programs and services went virtual. For seven days a week, we're now providing therapeutic programs through our, our website, and uh, it's been met with tremendous, tremendous success. More and more people are tuning into. And last year alone, we had more than 1 million people watch our programs. Wow. That and is outstanding. Incre- and we also increased the hours of our helpline. So AFA has a helpline seven days a week that's staffed by licensed social workers that are dementia-specifically trained. And you could also communicate with the social workers through our website, through a chat system, that allows you to speak in any languages, over 90 different languages, because we want to ensure that language is not a barrier for seeking help. Mm-hmm. And I guess what you've done is you recognize, okay, here's the technology, now it's time to utilize it, and you've actually probably grown from this as opposed to retract it. Well, we have, and we had to, look, I had to look at the playbook of what's going on in this country with the world, with the pandemic, mm-hmm. and see how best we can communicate with individuals when they are facing different challenges in their lives. Look, during the pandemic, the physical and emotional stress of a caregiver has been heightened. You know, the, I can imagine. The stress, yeah, the stress of somebody living with Alzheimer's disease has changed dramatically with lack of visitation, you know, lack of stimulation. So we want to ensure that people stay active. With That's why we provide our programs now in person, but also virtually. When we talk about Alzheimer's, can you talk about the signs of it? And a lot of people have heard of it, and they probably think, well, it affects people who are a lot older. Can you talk about that in particular for those who are unfamiliar with it but have heard of it? Yeah, absolutely. First, let me just say, there are more than 400,000 people in Texas currently living with Alzheimer's disease, and throughout this country, more than 6 million people. You know, we always encourage people that if you see signs and symptoms of Alzheimer's disease, memory loss, especially of recent events, names, places, confusion about time and place, changes in moods and personalities, difficulty in judging situations, to address it immediately and don't be in denial. Many people say, oh, he and she is just getting older. Mm-hmm. really not a case because Alzheimer's disease is not a normal part of aging. Don't be in denial. Don't try to cover up for a loved one or a friend, get it, get it checked out right away. 
And when you say get it checked out, where's the first place they should go? Their their family doctor or is there? Absolutely, yeah, yeah. Go to your primary care physician. Look, not all um, things are attributed to memory loss, and you mm-hmm. know, so often we hear, "Oh, I'm losing my memory. I have Alzheimer's disease." It's really not something people should say because sleep apnea, depression, a thyroid issue, vitamin deficiency can all. Uh, lead to memory loss and are, are treatable if not correctable. So you should get it checked out from your primary care physician, but you should also do something in addition to that, and that's take a memory screening. So we offer uh, free memory screenings virtually with our office. It takes 10 to 15 minutes of your day. You could also do it online on our website, which is alzfdn.org. But if you want a virtual screening, you just need to call AFA at 866 866- Two three two eight four eight four. One of our trained staff members will just ask you a series of questions. You'll get a score. If you score below the baseline, we make uh, certain recommendations. If you score above the baseline score, we say to you, you know, come back, give us a call in six months, and let's take a, another test. But it's a good start to get a, a gauge on your memory thinking and, and language skills. We're talking with the uh, CEO of the Alzheimer's Foundation of America, Charles Fischello, Jr. And, and Charles, how long have you been involved with the foundation, and what led you to the foundation? So I'm in my ninth year as the president and CEO, and prior to that, I was a senator here. For, I'm in New York right now as a state senator mm-hmm. for more than 16 years, dealing on many different health care issues. Uh, there was, an, you know, I was uh, sought after for this job, and I thought it was just a great way to take my experience uh, in, in government and with community issues on a national level. And uh, it's been a great, ex- a very rewarding and great experience for me. Do you have any relatives or family members that have had to suffer from Alzheimer's and you said maybe this is a chance for me to step up? We're friends. I'm just trying to put, paint a picture of a, of a personal level where you found out so, that this might be something that you could you could handle. Yeah, very close family, friends. Uh, Mom had gone through the disease and passed away. I had an uncle that passed away two years ago uh, during the pandemic of dementia. So it hits very close to home. How how rapid does it does the onset happen, or is it varies from case to case? Because I know there are some people that say, well, he's just getting older, or she's just getting older, but she's sharp some days and she's not the other day. How how rapidly does it occur, or does it just vary? Yeah, it does vary. You know, everybody is different, and mm-hmm. the brains are different, so it does vary. But you, but what you just said is is the denial stage that yeah. all too often we hear that through our helpline and through our educational programs. It's almost like a cover-up of a loved one. Mm-hmm. You know, oh, they're just getting older and, and they're just forgetting things. Well, that's something that you know should be um, looked at immediately, because there are ways that you know you could continue an active life and and participate in certain financial and healthcare decisions while you're still able to do it. So you know I hear that so often, and and it just frustrates me. Because I want people, if they're concerned about their memory, their cognitive skills, to just get it checked out immediately. Is there a cure or is there a reversal process? Is there anything that can be done? There's not a cure. There's not a reversal process. But we always encourage individuals to live a healthy lifestyle from an early age. You know, mm-hmm. when we were in elementary school and high school, you always heard exercise 30 minutes, eat right, don't smoke, don't drink. You need to carry that through your entire life. Yeah, yeah. And speaking of, of being healthy and, and those kind of things, you know, a lot of people in the world of athletics, they hear the phrase CTE, and especially in football, 
Can you distinguish between CTE and Alzheimer's for those who may or may not know? Because a lot of people can relate to maybe football players when they retire, they start losing their memory or they have issues with their brain based upon the injuries that occurred over time. Right, and that's something that should be treated immediately. But Alzheimer's disease is a progressive brain disorder that will impact your memory, thinking, and language skills. Mm -hmm. And it's uh, the difference is always a uh, confusion. What is Alzheimer's disease and what is dementia? Alzheimer's is a disease. Dementia is not. It's a term to use a combination of symptoms where individuals will have memory loss, and but they'll also have loss of judgment and other intellectual functions. Wow. And, and again, I know you guys have had success as far as reaching out and, and letting people learn about the disease and, and trying to take care of family members or friends. Can you talk about some of the projects that you've had over the last nine years or so that you've been really proud of the success and the things that you were able to accomplish? Yeah. For one of them is our Educating America Tour, which we started and uh, last, uh, we started five years ago. We're in our sixth year now. And last December, we completed all 50 states. And that's so critically important because what we do is we provide education, awareness, um, and we um, ensure that individuals know that they have a place to turn to, that you can't go on this journey alone. You know, it's so critically important that people are empowered with information when the Alzheimer's walks into their front door, whether it's affecting themselves or a loved one, that they know that uh, the steps they need to do to build a team but also what's going to what's going to happen in the progression stages as well. You know, the expansion of our helpline has been a tremendous asset, you know, to millions and millions of people throughout the entire country to have the ability to pick up the phone, call a licensed social worker that is dementia specifically trained is something we're very proud of. And that's why we were founded. We're in our 20th anniversary now. 20 mm-hmm. years. And we're very excited about the anniversary, but we were founded by a caregiver who back in the 80s and 90s was caring for his mom and had no place to turn to, and that's why AFA was founded. It's a wonderful organization, and, you know, for those who might be listening and they know someone in their life, you know, someone in their life is is having problems remembering things. Can you, I know everybody's got a different case, but can you talk about the tough conversation where you have to have them go see a doctor, the kind of things they might say to encourage an older family member, I think I think we need to talk about this. Yeah, first and foremost, what I encourage everybody to do is call the helpline. You know, speak to a licensed social worker about that issue and how do I address somebody? Because it, it's so difficult, you know, to think about you're going to confront somebody on memory loss or the possibility that they have Alzheimer's disease. Even the conversation about taking the keys away yeah. from an individual, you know, you're taking away their freedom is very, very difficult. So I'll defer to our licensed social workers that are, this is their experience. You know, pick up that phone, call the helpline at 866-232-8484. And what's really important about this is that individuals know that the calls are confidential. Mm-hmm. And so step away, you know, step away from your friend, step away from your loved one, go into the other room and pick up the phone and make that call. Are there situations where, you know, the family cannot, they don't, physically have the capability to care for that family member and where they can take them if they have to make those decisions down the road. In other words, I'm trying to talk about the conversation they might have amongst each other, knowing that down the road in the next year or two, it seems like, you know, grandma is having a a struggle here. Can you talk about how people need to be prepared if they start seeing signs? Absolutely. And that's when you have to build a team. 
Yes. You know, you, you have to be on the same page, even if you're living out of state, you know, geographically, you're not close. Everybody has to be on the same page when they're talking about a loved one, uh, the possibility of moving them into a care setting. If it gets to a point where you can't provide the care that you think is best for the one you're caring for, it's time to look. Exactly. It's just that simple. Now, speaking of looking, there's going to be a virtual educational program on March the 9th. Can you share this with all of our listeners? Because this conversation is so interesting to so many people and to touch so many, it touches so many uh, bases and, and it's like, wow, I, I think that's me. I think that's my family. Can you talk about this big event so that they might want to be involved with it? So it's an educational conference on Alzheimer's disease and caregiving for Texas res- residents on March 9th from 10 a.m. to 1245 p.m. Registration is free by just going to our website, which is alzfdn.org backslash tour. And this is a um, an initiative that we started a number of years ago because we felt individuals were not properly educated on what Alzheimer's disease is or the services that are available. And, you know, the lineup of speakers on our agenda will accomplish that goal, and individuals will have an opportunity to ask questions after each session of the, of the speakers. Oh, good. Yeah, and that, that's really important, too. So it is interactive in that sense. That's very, very good. And, again, it's going to be on March the 9th. Is there, is there a time period? From 10 a.m. to 12.45 p.m., Central Standard Time. Excellent. Charles, I cannot thank you enough for joining us. This is the president and CEO of the Alzheimer's Foundation of America, Charles Fischella, Jr. Charles, thank you again. And we look forward to talking to you again because this is a very, very, very unique health crisis. And it's something that everybody's family has to deal with at some point in time, right? Absolutely. Thanks so much for having me on. Thank you. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month without a pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. And joining us right now is Ms. Fonda Bryant. She is a favorite on this show. She talks (laughs) to us about mental wellness and suicide prevention, and especially the QPR suicide prevention training that Yahoo picked up. I saw all about you nationwide on Yahoo. Congratulations on getting the word out and the fact that they have discovered you too, just like some of these national television shows. 
Uh, thank you very much. I work very hard to um, get the word out that suicide is preventable and it's everybody's business. So thank you very much for having me. Can you talk about how um, the QPR suicide prevention training has taken a hold? Because I understand you've been working with some schools now and, and high school students as well. Yes. Um, one of the things that I'm really seeing is we have got to get to our youth. Uh, when you look at the suicide stats among our youth uh, for young people ages 10 to 34, that is the second leading cause of death. And also, um, you know, I got the suicide stats just a few weeks ago, and it said that suicide rates had dropped 3%. So that's great. But one is one too many. But for black people, people of color, and young people 15 to um, 24, suicide is rising. So it is so important to get people trained in how to recognize the signs, to know how people are acting, what they're saying, and also to know the cryptic messaging or the cryptic language that people are using to take their own life or even suicide avatars. So when I do the QPR training, I touch on all of that because it's not like we're standing there flailing our arms and saying, oh, my God, I'm going to kill myself. There could be very subtle signs that I'm mm-hmm. going to hurt myself. There could also be signs where you don't even, you know, they're subtle, but it's other signs that we don't have to say a word. We could just put something up there. And that's why when I do the QPR training, I said familiarize yourself with social media. Know that there are suicide avatars out here, that if someone wants to die by suicide, they don't have to sit up and put that online. There's cryptic messaging. Let's talk about um, what Chesley Chris, Miss For- the former Miss USA, she didn't put out that's there, right. hey guys, I'm going to kill myself. Hold on a second. I she- think that's important because for people who aren't familiar – she jumped off of a building a couple of weeks ago. Yes, she did. 30 years old, Miss USA, you know, was an attorney here in Charlotte. And she did a lot of uh, community engagement. You know, she was out here giving of her time and herself. And, you know, the thing was that, you know, society, when you read a lot of the posts under her death, people were saying, oh, my God, I can't believe she did it. You know, why would she do that? But see, for people who are advocates and for people who live with the same thing that she was dealing with, it's no surprise to us because mental health doesn't care if you are a beauty queen, if you're an NFL player, mm-hmm. NBA player, regular person. It treats us the same. And when she decided to throw in the towel, she didn't put up there, I'm going to kill myself. Her last post simply said, may you find rest and peace. She didn't say rest in peace. She said rest in peace. And when do we usually say rest in peace? When somebody's dead. She was telling everybody, I'm going to take my own life. But that's why I said in that QPR training, I teach you to look out for cryptic messaging. For instance, if you saw someone post on their social media, I had pasta for dinner last night. I had pasta for dinner. You say, man, that pasta must have been really good that they wanted to post that on social media. That's not what that means. That is code. That is cryptic messaging that I'm going to hurt myself. I'm really? thinking about killing myself. Yeah. How, how do you know this? How does that? Because seems, that seems so simple and no one would think it seems innocuous. Well, I read, see, I stay on top of stuff, and I read a great article on Yahoo, and they were talking about on TikTok that that uh, particular language, I had pasta for dinner, was code that I'm going to hurt myself. There's another one. Hmm. Uh, I finished the shampoo and conditioner. 
I finished the shampoo and conditioner. You might see that on social media and say, well, wham, why would somebody put that up there? But okay, no, that means I'm going to hurt myself or I think I'm thinking about hurting myself. So when I do that QPR training, I'm very thorough because I know that suicide is not always about us speaking. It can be the way that we're acting and it can also be a situation that can cause us to take our own life. We're talking with Fonda Bryant. Uh, she's talking about the QPR suicide prevention training, and you mentioned that the suicide pre- suicide rates are down, but they are up for Gen Z. And I'm wondering if the pandemic and all the different isolations and, and people only communicating, especially uh, Gen Z, you know, being teenagers and in their early 20s, and they communicate through social media so much, and there's a lot of bullies, and there's a lot of bots, and there's a lot of, you know, things that you think, oh, that's no big deal, but, you know, it's a big deal to them. Could you talk about how maybe the pandemic has heightened the fact that they feel confused? Yes, uh, very much so, because we are a society that we're supposed to intermingle. We're supposed to have face-to-face uh, conversations and, and, and interaction. And when you take that from the kids especially, it's very hard for them. And then when you think about some of these kids are in horrendous situations at home. Mm-hmm. It's domestic violence. It's no food there. Lights might be cut off, you know, just violence all around them. So their escape is coming to school. And when they can't come to school to get away from the problems at home, right. that even heightens it. But this is the thing. Young people have been in crisis. So when you throw in the pandemic, you throw in all the, I can't see my friends, I can't hang out and talk to them, it's a, it's even, it even makes suicide worse in a lot of aspects. But the thing is, is that the suicide rates among youth has been through the roof for a very long time. And a lot of it is, as you said, we brought it on with the pandemic. That's to me, even though, because we weren't used to that. Right. We weren't used to, to the pandemic. The isolation. The, same t- the isolation, not being able to get out, worrying, parents losing their job, mm-hmm. parents having to go into their 401ks, their savings, or they might be able to keep their job, but they got to move to another state and uproot everybody. So you had all this going on, but at the same time, these kids were struggling anyway. The kids, these, Mm -hmm. because I work at a high school and it's amazing to me seeing these kids every day, talking to them. A lot of these kids are going through stuff. And and one of the biggest things is, too, let's be real, is that a lot of these kids already had mental health issues and they haven't been addressed because the stats say by the time a child is 14 years old, 50% of them are dealing with a mental health condition. By the time they're 24, is 75%. And if we don't get them help, 50% of those who are dealing with mental health issues turn to substance abuse. It is. This is an overwhelming situation when you think about it. When I say overwhelming, I'm talking about for the kids. I know that there's a lot of kids, their whole life revolves around social media, whether it's TikTok, Snapchat, Instagram, Twitter, because they're either in that world and they're looking to be judged or they are being judged and they don't want to be judged. And then because of social media bringing the world to them. In other words, they're interacting with people all over the world. They're interacting with, you know, they they have an information overload. And I know there's a lot of kids who just, you know, just the past week or so, they were worried that they might get drafted because of the war going on with Russia. And so they're like they don't they don't know what to think, but they just talk amongst themselves and things are heightened. Are you seeing a lot of that as well? 
Not right off the bat here as far as students and stuff are concerned. As a matter of fact, when you brought that up, that was my first time hearing it. But the biggest thing I think these kids really worry about is that, you know, with the pandemic, what's going to happen next? Right. You know, what what's going to happen next? Because we're getting ready to take off masks at the schools. We're getting, you know, they're, mm-hmm. they're lowering, you know, you don't have to wear the mask anymore, but people are still getting mm-hmm. COVID. So I think the biggest thing with these kids right now is just still, okay, things are quieting down now. They got the prom um, posters up, you know, they get ready to go to the prom. Are they going to be able to do the things that they want to do? especially the seniors. Right. Am I going to get to go to my prom? Am I going to get to graduate without all of this drama with COVID? So that's where their minds are kind of right now. Are we going to be able to finish as close to being normal as possible for us seniors? Are we going to be able to, you know, go to our, uh, to our prom? Are we going to be able to have these uh, parties and stuff when we graduate? Are we going to be able to graduate and our whole families can come? So that's kind of where we are right now with students. They just it's that still that sense of uncertainty. You know, it's great we're taking off our mask and COVID numbers are down, but still we've seen this before. And is it going to kick back up? So I think that's what more of the students are thinking about right now. Just are we going to be able to finish the year and especially mm-hmm. the seniors with a sense of you know normalcy? So how do we help them? How do we help them sort through this and not feel as stressed and not be suicidal? The best way is I always tell people, listen, parents, I know it's hard, but you got to listen and talk to them without being judgmental. I had a parent the other night that asked me that. She said, you know, I feel like I listen to them. I said, but do you listen to them without judgment? I said, sometimes we just have to sit down and be quiet and not say a word and let them talk mm-hmm. and don't dismiss how they feel because, you know, young people live in the moment. Sure. Yeah, they break up with somebody. They're about to, you know, they're, yes. they're lose it. That's oh right. Oh, my God, they broke up with me. And then they come to us, and we're like, oh, that's no big deal. You'll find somebody else. You're young. To them, they don't feel that way. So I always tell parents, as hard as it is, first, you know, talk to them, listen to them without judgment, and reassure them. Right. You know, and and sometimes when you say listen to them, just they don't want your advice. They just mm-hmm. want you to hear them. They just want you to hear them, to be able to vent, Yes. to come in and say, hey, I want to talk to you. Sometimes they don't want your advice. Well, I, if I was you, I didn't know. Sometimes you just got to be quiet and let them vent. And they appreciate that because, see, the next time is when they might come back to you and say, hey, can I talk to you for a minute? Because you have set the foundation that you're not going to judge them and they'll feel comfortable coming to you. Mm-hmm. So, um we talked about the QPR suicide prevention training, but we didn't explain exactly what that is. Can you break that down for those who are curious about it? Okay. QPR, first off, stands for Question, Persuade, Refer, and it's called QPR Suicide Prevention Training. It was founded by this wonderful gentleman who saved so many lives in Washington State. His name is Paul Quinette. Him and his son is an actual institute, QPR is an actual institute. And the thing is, QPR is just like CPR. CPR is to help someone in a physical crisis, whether it's a heart attack or stroke. QPR is the same thing, but it's to help someone in a mental health crisis or suicidal. So in two hours, I can, in the time you watch a movie, I can train anyone how to recognize the signs of someone in crisis or suicidal, 
talk and listen to them in a non-judgmental way. That's very important because this is the thing, as I told you earlier, Chris, mental health doesn't judge you. It doesn't care that you're an NBA, NFL, Fonda Bryant. It treats us all the same. So it doesn't care. So let's say you were helping somebody, an NFL player or NBA or a a CEO, Mm -hmm. and they had a mental health condition. You wouldn't sit up you don't need to judge them and say, well, you know what? How could they have a mental health condition? They got money. They're making, they live in a great neighborhood. They're educated. Lead a judgment in your own mind. Your job in that moment is to help someone by providing hope and wanting them to live. So judgment is part of that foundation and also helping that person the resources, being able to get that person resources. I tell everyone, because when you finish taking the training, you get a certificate that lasts for three years. You're a certified gatekeeper. If you never take it again, you are certified. If you want to take it again, it's great. And I tell everybody to take it again because things change. So you get a certificate. You get a QPR booklet in PDF form. You get a resource card. And I always tell people, because someone asked me in class one day, they said, uh, Ms. Fonda, how do you keep from panicking? When you're helping someone in crisis, mm-hmm. I said, know your resources on the front end. Ask them, do they have insurance? Ask them, do they have an EAP, an employee assistance program, which is a wonderful tool that companies give you to help you with mental health, mm-hmm. grief, finances, and um, uh grief, finances, marital issues, and mental health. And depending on your company, you can go see them three, six, nine times free of charge. And I tell people, know that we have crisis mobile units. We have police officers called CIT officers, crisis intervention team officers that can help us when we're in a mental health addiction or suicide. And it's not about drawing guns on us. It's not about taking us to jail. It's about de-escalation and getting us help. So those resources, I tell everybody, when you get see, uh, when you get trained, QPR trained, print that resource card out and know the resources in your area. Because when somebody's in crisis, you don't have time to be sitting there, well, wait a minute, I got to find where they go because that's going to make you panic. Mm-hmm. So if you know things better on the front end, it helps you on the back end. And I'm telling you that training gives you spider sense because I already have people who have saved people's lives from taking the training. You don't have to be a professional to save someone's life. Caring and education can save someone's life. You know what? You're you're such a good advocate about this, and you've always seen situations from afar. We've talked in the past about how you helped save the life of the uh, Boise State University football player, and that made national news. And you're in North Carolina, and he's in Idaho, but you were able to save well, him. Well, actually, he was in um, – Provo, Utah at BYU. Utah. That's my bad. Yeah, BYU, right. not Boise State. And it reminded me of, and again, I know you've, you've had zero interaction with him, but I know that one of the names in the news in the last year uh, is NBA superstar Ben Ben Simmons, who, who just got traded to the Brooklyn Nets. He was playing for the Philadelphia 76ers, and he was saying he was having mental health issues issues back in August and he could not play for Philadelphia anymore. Were you familiar with his situation? And again, I'm not saying that you're, you've been working with him at all, but I know you know signs of things. And could you tell me from afar what you were thinking about when you heard about his situation? 
Well, I didn't know it really well, and people told me about it, mm-hmm. but again, I wasn't surprised. And even as, it's even worse for men to admit that they're dealing with mental health issues and go get help. But the thing is, at least he put it out there. Mm-hmm. But this is what I always, this is my philosophy, and this is what I always tell people. If you don't put in the work, it's going to continue to wreak havoc in your life, and it can kill you. So for him not to, you know, I'm not sure if he's going to get help. And the thing is, if you make us sometimes go to get help, we're kind of buck up against it and like, oh, you don't tell me what to do. It's nothing wrong with me. So I will always tell people that medication is a tool. If we have to take it, we have to take it. Therapy is a tool, but unless he's willing to put in the work every single day, because this is no quick fix, this is an ongoing journey. So for him, I hope that he will finally recognize, hey, look what mental health has already cost me. Look what it's already cost him. Mm -hmm. And I'm hoping with a new start in a new place that he will go and get the help that he needs, but he will put in the work because, you know, a therapist's job is not to fix our lives. The therapist's job is to kind of gently nudge us, and we take what we need from the therapist and put in our mental health toolbox. So for him, I'm not real familiar with his story. I knew he was dealing with mental health issues, but again... I hope and pray that he will go get the help. If not, this will constantly keep happening to him. He will keep having these ups and downs to the point where the league might just say, hey, you know what, we've had enough. If you're not going to help yourself, you can't be a part of a team. And that those kind of things do happen. You know, uh, you've got a lot of credibility for those who know you, and you've talked about this in the past on this show. Can you tell people your story? Because I think it would kind of lend some credibility on all these issues that you're expressing yourself so well on? Well, for me, I just celebrated my um, Valentine. You know, Valentine's Day is a day of love, right, Chris? You right. Went, I'm sure you went and got roses and flowers. For my know, wife, kind of yeah. Mm-hmm. And candy and all that stuff for your wife. But not everybody feels that way. And um, for me, Valentine's Day is kind of bittersweet. I just celebrated on Valentine's Day 27 years as a suicide survivor. And, you know, as each year goes by, I'm more appreciative that I'm here because, like I just got finished saying, I have to put in the work every single day from the time I get up to the time I go to bed because 27 years ago, I was diagnosed with clinical depression after a suicide attempt. Depression is the number one debilitating disease in the world. It is also the number one disease that can cause you to die by suicide. So 27 years ago, I was 35. I was working as a pharmacist tech for Atrium Health going into my fifth year when it hit me. Um, and, And I always tell people mental health and physical health are the same. I don't even know who separated the two. But when you're dealing with mental health issues, it affects your body too. Mm-hmm. It can affect you in ways like upset stomach, diarrhea, headaches. I wasn't eating. Uh, I was extremely tired, not regular tired, debilitating tired, like I was walking in molasses, just trying to function. Um, my appearance changed. I wore makeup and took great pride in my appearance. I didn't care what I looked like and barely could take a shower. Um, my work suffered. You know, I couldn't concentrate. I couldn't do my work. And those are some of the things that people, you you can see, you know, physically. Mm-hmm. And I will always tell people, this is a litmus test of mental health that you might want to go talk to someone. We all have days where we're depressed. We all have days that we 
um, you know, a full anxiety. But if it lasts for more than two weeks and it starts interfering with your everyday life, you need to go see somebody, mm-hmm. ASAP. Because if you had, um, if you had uh, hypertension or diabetes, you would go get help because you know it's going to get worse. You know it would get worse. Right. But it's the same thing with mental health. If you don't take care of your mental health, guess what? It's not going to take care of you. And death is the ultimate, but it can cause other things. Poor decisions, bad judgment, incarceration, and um, it can cause self-medicating. And this is the thing, Chris. Self-medicating is not just about drugs and alcohol. It can be pornography. It can be gambling. It can be sex. It can be excessive shopping. It can be excessive working out. Yep. We've seen the show 600-Pound Life, and a lot of those people on there talk about they find comfort in food. Food won't hurt them. It helped them through when they were being abused or whatever they were going through. So even those kind of things can be deadly to us because people are like, what are you talking about with food? Food can kill you too. It sure can. Now, you were talking about 27 years ago. What saved you? How did the situation resolve itself? Because, again, you're with us now, and you were actually ready to kill yourself. Yes, and this is the thing I always tell people. We don't want to die, but that pain, Chris, in that moment is something I've never experienced. I mean, I experienced, and I hope I never experience again. It's excruciating. So what I did was uh, I had a plan. My apartment was immaculate. My son was at school, and I didn't want Wesley to be there. And I know some people listening will say, you know, she sure was selfish. How dare she leave her 12-year-old son? But I want people to know something. 90% of people who die by suicide have a treatable mental health condition. And the reason why we don't go get help is because of society, what they do to us and what they say to us. Oh, they're crazy. They're nuts. They're psycho. Those words hurt, Mm -hmm. and it keeps people from getting help. So the next time people get, you know, you're listening to this and you get ready to open your mouth and say crazy, think about it. Mental health has no face. You have no idea who's standing around you. And you say that one word and that person like, I'm not going to get help because I'm not crazy. So in my instance, I had a hero. You know, all heroes don't wear capes. And I had a hero, my aunt Spanky. Her real name is Kelly, but her nickname is Spanky. My nickname is Tweety. And she's three years older than me. Mm -hmm. And we've always been like sisters. And I reached out to her and I told her, simply, you can have my shoes. That is a sign, giving away stuff. But she might not have picked up on that because we weren't educated then. And I've heard, you know, especially with black people, oh, they're not going to do anything. They just want attention. Well, if that's the attention they want, you give it to them because you don't know if they're going to take their own life or not. So we hung up. She called me back. She said, are you going to kill yourself? And I said, yes. And she went into... She went into Superman mode because she she became a superhero. She had me involuntarily committed because a police officer came to my door later on that afternoon. You mean the police me. showed up at your door? Yeah, she had me involuntarily committed, and I didn't know it. And I'm going to tell you, that was a terrible experience, and that's why I'm so grateful now that we have police officers that help us because I wasn't a criminal. He treated me like a criminal. He put me in handcuffs and put me in the back of the police car like I'm a criminal. I don't. Were you fighting drink. him off? 
Well, this is what happened, and this is what I tell people when I train people. When we're in crisis, I don't care if it's your husband, your wife, your children, grandparents, friend, coworker. Please do not put your hands on us when we're in crisis, because in that moment, we're not thinking clearly. We might be hallucinating. We might be in a psychosis state, and we're scared. So don't put your hands on us. So what you do, you stand at a distance. You stay calm. You let us know you care about us. You let us know you're there to help us. You let us know that we can get through this, and you let us know that you can that we can get better. Because when you put your hands on us, we could hurt you. You could hurt us, or both of us. And it could escalate. It could escalate. It could, exactly. Don't call us names. Don't curse us and say things like that. Because all you're going to do is escalate it, and then you're going to have to call the police. So when the police officer was telling me, Fonda, you're coming with me, and I said, no, I'm not, he put his hand on my shoulder. And when he did, I scratched him. And that's when things escalated. And I'm not violent either. But again, I was scared. It was like being an animal, you know, in a corner. Mm -hmm. And you're going to come out fighting. Mm -hmm. And he threw me in handcuffs and hurried me down the stairs. And everybody's looking at me. My Aunt Spanky's out there. And I'm yelling and screaming at her and telling her how much I hated her. And this is what makes my Aunt Spanky such a hero. And everybody needs to be like Aunt Spanky. Because she went up against my grandmother, my mother, and me to save my life. She didn't worry if I was going to be mad at her or not. She wanted to save my life. And that's something I teach people. You have two choices when we're in crisis or suicidal. You can help us, and yeah, we might get mad at you, might not ever speak to you again, but we're alive not to speak to you. And eventually we'll get over it. But even if we don't, we're alive. Or you can do nothing, and you can risk going to a funeral. And see, this is something else too, Chris. With suicide, unlike murder, car deaths, natural causes, suicide leaves those questions. Yeah. Why didn't I check on them? What Why happened? didn't I reach out to them? What happened? Why mm-hmm. didn't I know the signs? And that can really eat you up. Yeah. So so let's get back to the story again. Did he take you to jail or take you to the hospital? He took me to the hospital. He It was a long ride, about a 30-minute ride. And um, he took me out to Cedar Springs, which was a private facility that I had been going to for outpatient. And when he got me out there and I, he took me out of the car, I was still handcuffed. I wanted to run. I really did. Mm-hmm. But he was a big guy. And I said, if I ran, he would have tackled me. I could have gotten uh, injured or killed. So when they took me inside the mental health facility, they took the handcuffs off. And I was screaming and yelling. And I don't curse either. But I was just so upset. And it was very traumatizing. To this day, I can't go out to... Um, Palmdale, North Carolina, where they had me. The hospital is torn down, mm-hmm. but I can't. I can't go out there. It makes it. It just puts a nasty taste in my mouth. So when we get out there and he gets me inside, takes the handcuffs off, they just kind of let me tire myself out with the yelling and the screaming. Sure. And when I got finished, first thing they did was check your vitals because I told you, mind and body are one. Mm-hmm. And they checked my vitals. Your blood then pressure was do, probably through the roof. Oh, it was through the roof. It, I'm surprised. It was probably like one of the Looney Tunes where, you know, yeah. like um, Wiley Cowdy, it just explodes. Mm-hmm. And so after they took my vitals, the next thing they do is safety. 
They check your pockets to see if you got anything that you can hurt yourself or someone else. They take your shoestrings so you can't hurt yourself. And they also take your belt if you have on a belt because they don't want you to do anything. You could hang you yourself. Can hurt yourself. Yeah, yeah, you can hurt yourself. And so then they were like, well, we're going to bring you something to eat. And I said, I don't want anything to eat. But even when they bring you something to eat, it's utensils, it's plastic utensils. It's nothing where you can really hurt yourself. And so my Aunt Kelly brought me clothes out there, and all I wanted was a picture of my son. And um, when they, even when they brought the picture out there, it was in a glass frame. They take that out because they don't want you breaking it and cutting yourself or anything like that. I had a private room. It was no different than a regular hospital. There was nobody in a straight jacket or padded room or us being zombies drugged up. Mm -hmm. um, the only difference was the mirror was reflective, not glass. Okay. Um, a mental health facility is very structured. It's totally different from a, um, a regular hospital. You're very structured. So mm -hmm. they got me up at 7 o'clock. You have downtime. You get yourself ready, a little bit of downtime, going to group therapy. And my first session with um, after we ate breakfast, we go into group therapy. And when I went into group therapy, um, my therapist asked me, she said, Fonda, who do you put first? And I'm like, what kind of question is that? My son, he's 12. She said, wrong answer. She said, when you get on a plane, what do they tell you to do if it's an emergency? And like, you know, we're never paying attention to the flight attendants, but they always tell us, put that mask on first mm -hmm. before you help somebody else. And that's really self-care. Yeah, that's you have really to take care of yourself. How can you take care of anyone else if you can't take care of yourself? Exactly. But see, that was foreign to me because in the black culture, it's God, family, and we fall down that ladder. Mm -hmm. But if I don't put myself first, which it took time to learn about self-care. Now I'm a stickler for it. I couldn't help myself, my son, or anybody on that day. And I don't want to ever be that low again, because that's the lowest I have ever been. So after we had the group session, we'd break, eat lunch, come back to group. It was very draining. And then we'd finish up, eat dinner, downtime, television cut off at 11.30. So I was out there for a week, and I was diagnosed with clinical depression. And this is the thing. A couple of weeks ago, I saw an article that said um, that now there are certain mental health disorders that they can find out by taking your blood. That's how they found out I had clinical depression 27 years ago. They took my blood. Your blood tells a story from the top of your head to the bottom of your feet. And it told the psychiatrist that I was, that I was diagnosed with clinical depression, which means I do not get enough serotonin to my brain naturally. Mm -hmm. And so when I got ready, and also this is something else, my mother, love her dearly, Chris. She's a good woman, overbearing and judgmental, but I love her. Mm -hmm. She lives in Savannah, Georgia. And I live in, and I was living in Charlotte at the time. Now, if I'd have had a heart attack or a stroke, she'd have been on the first thing smoking right. in North Carolina to, to save her, her baby. Child. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But guess what? Mental health suicide? Mm -mm, not so fast, as Lee Corso says. So she, she distanced. She distanced. She didn't come. She, she didn't, didn't want to. She didn't want to accept it. No, she didn't want. We haven't talked about my suicide attempt to this day. And when I talked to her on the phone when I was at the um, hospital. First thing she said was, you just need to be stronger. And that's the rally cry of people of color. Yeah, just need to get be stronger. But you know what is being strong? Getting help 
that's where real strength comes in, mm-hmm. getting the help you need so you can be better and you can live a healthy life. So when I left there, I knew, I told them, I said, I don't know how I'm going to live with this mental health disorder because they told me it was a disease and you could have knocked me over with a feather when they told me that. I'm like, my God, I'm a black woman how, and the way I was raised, how am I going to live with this? But when I got ready to leave there, I told them, I said, I don't know how I'm going to live with this, but I refuse to be a person in and out of a psychiatric hospital. And the other thing I realized was the shame. Yeah. It came with having a mental health condition. Because when I went back to work, the same person who sent me across the street to get help, my assistant director of pharmacy, whispered in my ear, well, Fonda, you don't have to let anyone know that you're in the hospital for, uh, in a psychiatric hospital. And I was very taken aback by that because I've never been ashamed that I'm dealing with a, with a physical condition. It just happens to be in my brain. You know, it's so, it's so interesting you bring this up because I think this is probably one of the one diseases, one of the few diseases that people just do not like to talk about. Maybe they're doing it more now, but it was like it was like the big secret, the family secret. No, it doesn't matter what culture you're from. It's like you never really wanted to talk about so-and-so because he or she, you know, they're crazy or whatever the, uh-huh. the phrase you want to put. You know, they're, they're depressed. It's, it's not normal. And can you talk about how maybe it's it's stepped out of that shadow now? And, and also, can you talk about how you you wound up getting back to a quote unquote somewhat normal life? Because I know you're aware of your situation, and that's what helps. But I know that you're back on track because you're not like you're you're actually doing all these different interviews, and you've got gotten this national attention. So the word has gone out about your story, and you've been able to help so many people. But can you talk about? how you got into normalcy, so to speak. Well, this is and, it, and it wasn't either. something that you wanted to hide. No, I mean, the thing is, like I said, I don't know where that came from that I, as soon as I left that hospital, I never had that shame slapped on it because I knew it was physical. And also I found out from my mom that depression ran in our family. And I'm like, what? I said, you mean to tell me y'all didn't talk about it? Because we'll talk about diabetes. Mm-hmm. We'll talk about hypertension. Sure. But we won't talk about mental health. So for me... It took me years, it still took me more years to finally really break free of the, you know, just having a mental health condition because, see, this is the thing. You got to get educated. So for me, suicide, those suicidal thoughts never went away. They still come back. But the thing is, is now I know how to diffuse them. And just because you think about it doesn't mean you're going to implement it. But in 2014, that suicide thoughts came back in my head heavy, and I thought about it again. And I was just leaving my gym uptown Charlotte, and I thought about jumping over a parking deck right on the light rail. But something told me to get in the car and drive, and I did, and I drove home. Mm -hmm. And I pulled in the back of my apartment complex, and I was just crying like, I can't take this anymore. And first thing I did was reach out to my therapist. And then I came into my apartment and my son was there and I went right right past him and went in the room and shut the door. And when I did, my son never really comes in my room like that. And he came in my room and he said, Mom, you can help people. 
I know you can. And it was like a really aha moment. It was like right then and there. A revelation. I found my purpose. Like, yes. Mm -hmm. And so the next day I went to see my therapist and I joined NAMI, the National Alliance on Mental Illness. NAMI is a national mental health organization based out of uh, Arlington, Virginia. But every single state has a NAMI. NAMI, Texas. NAMI, California. Mm -hmm. NAMI, North Carolina. So I joined an affiliate, NAMI Charlotte. And that's when I really started understanding mental health more because I started getting educated. I started embracing because even when we have a mental health condition, like I told you, we got to put in the work. And that means learn about your mental health disorder. Learn about things that you can do to help yourself. So for me, my mental health toolbox is probably different from other people. Some of us might have the same. Some of it might be different. But the thing is, I realized, Chris, we have to put in the work. You have to. It's no, as I said earlier, no quick fix. So for me, volunteering is probably one of the biggest things that keeps me focused and helps me. But I have to put boundaries and I have to take a break and I have to take care of myself. Working out, eating right. Because see, 27 years ago, all I knew was medication and going to therapy. Mm -hmm. And here we are 27 years later. Who would have thought that coloring in a coloring book helps with anxiety? Those adult coloring books are wonderful. They said that black people don't get enough vitamin D, which is found in the sun, going for a walk in nature, mm -hmm. working out, listening to music, you ha and eating right. You know, they always say you need to eat right so you won't have hypertension and uh, uh, diabetes. diabetes. But eating right helps us, too, with our mental health. So those are the things that I do to help myself. Also, setting boundaries, putting people out of your life who bring you down and make you feel there bad. There you go. It, you, and I tell you, that goes for family, too. Mm -hmm. That goes for family. If someone's bringing you down, you do not have time for them. You don't have time for it. And, and I'm going to tell you something else. You can feed people in small doses. Remember I told you I love my mom, mm -hmm. but she's overbearing and stuff. Sometimes when I see that mom pop pop up, not today. And I'm okay with that. Yeah. It doesn't mean I don't love her and I don't appreciate her, but some days I don't want to go there. Exactly. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's nothing wrong with that. So you have to set those boundaries. You have to put in people in your life who are going to help you and uplift you. And another piece, having that educated support. And I'm not saying going to college, but what I do tell people who have loved ones, who have mental health issues, to learn about mental health. Learn that it's real, number one, mm -hmm. and read about it. Take classes, because like NAMI, we have free support groups and classes, and one of the best classes that NAMI has is called Family to Family. And what that class does, you take it, I think it's eight weeks, an hour and a half, it's free of charge. You take it. You learn about your loved one's mental health disorder so you can help them and not enable them, but you also learn how to take care of yourself. Now, you mentioned taking care of so yourself. Important. It is. We're talking to Fonda Bryant. She is a suicide prevention trainer from the QPR. And, and Fonda, you mentioned, you know, helping others. And this has been a great conversation. And you've also talked about helping yourself. I have read and I have seen so many people say you just have to speak up. And it's hard for people to speak up. They say you just can't keep it bottled inside. I bet, I bet when we're talking about baby steps on this, I bet if people looked at some YouTubes, if they looked at, you know, they Google up some information and then just learn just for themselves and then 
gather the courage mm-hmm. to maybe contact a therapist or contact someone with NAMI? Because it's about baby steps. Because you mentioned before when, when you had your situation occur, you had a nice corporate job. It wasn't like you were struggling on the outside. You might have been struggling on the inside, but from afar, people didn't know what you were going through. Mm-mm. No, because I didn't even know myself. And that's the thing. Sometimes we don't even know ourselves. And I mean, looking back, I realized that I was struggling. But see, this is a great thing, too, about the Internet. It can be bad and it can be good. Mm-hmm. Mental Health America has a mental health assessment online okay. that anybody can take. And it's great. It's, it's called Mental Health America Mental Health Assessment. You click on it. It has depression, anxiety, eating disorders, post-traumatic stress, um, postpartum depression. It has all these great things. And in the privacy of your phone or your own home or wherever you are, you click on whichever mental health thing that you feel like you're going through. You answer questions honestly. I think you have to put your age in and maybe your race. And when you get finished with that questionnaire, it will tell you if your depression, anxiety, whatever it is, is mild, medium, mild, medium or severe. Mm-hmm. And if it's severe, you definitely need to go see somebody. And then it also gives you resources to go and see someone. So, again, if you want to take a baby step, I would suggest, and especially if you don't know exactly what's going on with you, to go online, find that mental health. Health America mental health assessment and take that assessment and that way you can gauge your mental health and kind of have an idea and say well you know what maybe it would be good to go and talk to somebody because to be quite honest if I had my way everybody would go talk to a therapist whether they're doing you know sure. whether they're struggling or not just like we go get a physical exactly go get a mental health checkup I'm glad you mentioned physical because my son he, he runs track and he had to get his physical and I've learned over the last year it is hard to get a physical because all of the family caretakers or the uh, doctors or whatnot, they're busy with COVID patients or they're backlogged. And so it's hard to get just a simple physical. Are there virtual um, therapists that you can talk to? Virtual? I'm just trying to figure out all the different ways that someone might make contact because they're, they're unsure of their own situation. Yes, I mean, you have, you saw um, Michael Phelps. He does a commercial for Talkspace. That's right. The, 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 the Olympian Michael Phelps, for people who don't know, yes. he's the most decorated gold medalist in U.S. Summer Olympic history. Yes, and he talks about Talkspace. And I remember when he first started doing that commercial, and he was the only one talking about teletherapy. Since Michael Phelps started that, I cannot tell you how many commercials I see now for teletherapy mm-hmm. where people can do it online. So it's help out here. You just have to take that first step. And if you're afraid to take the first step, and again, if you work in corporate America, oh, I meant to tell you, Chris, because somebody listened to this show, a lady reached out to me on Messenger on my Facebook from Dallas, Texas. Mm -hmm. And she said, hey, I'm struggling. I need to talk to someone, but I don't know how to take that first step. So I simply asked her, I said, do you have insurance? She said, yes. I said, do you have an employee assistance program at your job? She said, yes. I said, that's how you take the first step. So I told her exactly who she needed to reach out to, her HR, and she said she was going to do it the next day. So it's little things like that that you can do. And this is also I want what people listening, if you go to your EAP, 
they will not go to your supervisors or your bosses mm-hmm. and say, hey, this person's got some mental health issues. The only way that they will go and tell someone if you're going to hurt yourself or someone else. If you go through the EAP, they are bound to law that they cannot say a word to your employer. So please, please don't let that be a barrier of you not getting help. You mentioned uh, the lady uh, got a hold of you on Facebook. Is there any other way that anybody might want to contact you for any reason? And, again, I think your work with the QPR Suicide Prevention Training is outstanding. Are there some other organizations you need to uh, uh, let everybody know about and how they might be able to reach you as well? Sure. Well, you can reach out to me on Facebook as Fonda Bryant. But if you'd like to reach out to me on Twitter or Instagram, it is Mom. 72. So that's how you reach out to me. You can also email me. I don't mind giving out my email address because it's always on the flyers. Sure. And that is Fonda, F-O-N-D-A, N-C, underscore, the number 40 at yahoo.com. So you can reach out to me that way. And also, Chris, I encourage people to go to the NAMI website. Y'all have a great NAMI Texas, which the, the, um, Y'all state office is in Austin. Mm-hmm. You have a great NAMI, Texas. But if you go onto that website and you want to find a affiliate like NAMI Dallas, you can go to your state NAMI and it'll say find your affiliate. And you can click on where you are because y'all got a great NAMI Dallas too. It's NAMIs in every single state. You go to your state and you can click on where it says find your affiliate. It has free uh, support groups and classes that you can go to and see everything right now is virtual. So you can do classes and support groups online. Mental Health America is another great resource, and they have a lot of resources for youth, and so does NAMI. So I tell everyone to type in, or how about this, type in mental health resources in my area. It is places out here to help you. You just have to know where to look. But if you go to the NAMI website or Mental Health America, they also have a list of resources as well. So there's help out here. You just have to know where to look. And don't be afraid to ask. Don't be afraid to speak up. And again, if it's baby steps, like you were saying, just go online first, get as much information as you can, and then you will find the courage to speak to a therapist or at least one of these different, you know, community groups, some of these uh, 501c3s or, or um, you know, charitable organizations that specialize in these things, right? Yes, because NAMI is a grassroots organization, and this is a kicker with NAMI. Most of us, they call us consumers. That's people with lived experience. So our board members, because I sit uh, on the state board, this is my last year. I've served um, six years. I'm stepping down. But most of our members with NAMI are people who have mental health issues or a loved one has mental health issues. And that's the great thing I really love about it, that we understand we're peers and we want to do our best to help you and your family to get on the road of mental wellness and stay on the road of mental wellness. Fonda, you are a blessing, and we will have you back on again real soon because all the words you say are so wonderful and people need to hear them. Thank you again for joining us. Well, thank you for having me, and I I just really appreciate it. So thank y'all guys so much. And thank you for listening to Better Living. I'm Chris Arnold. Be sure to tune in next week as we highlight other organizations and events happening right here in DFW. So long, everybody. 
We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. T-Mobile.com. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.